Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Trisha Stringer's best-selling rural romance has helped country love blossom into the hugely popular category it is today. And as a recognised voice of Australian storytelling, Trisha's gone on to include historical sagas and multi-generational family fiction in her very popular body of work. In tune with The Times, her latest book, The Model Wife, examines what happens when a woman everyone relies on feels she's been pushed just that one point too far. Could it be that in her attempt to be a loving wife and mother, Natalie King no longer knows who she is herself? Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler, and we're delighted to have three paperback copies of The Model Wife to give away to three lucky readers. Enter the draw on the website, thejoysofbingereading.com, or on our Binge Reading Facebook page. Just a reminder too, that a full transcript of our talk today, along with links to Trisha's books and website, can be found there too, on thejoysofbingereading.com. Check in there to enter the model wife draw, and while you're there, leave us a comment. We love to hear from you. But now, here's Trisha. Hello there, Trisha, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Hi, Jenny. Thank you so much for, for inviting me. Look, Tricia, you're in South Australia and I'm in New Zealand. And in these days of pandemic, I think people like to picture where you are talking from and, and what your kind of situation is. Is social distancing affecting you very much? And whereabouts are you located in relation to Adelaide, for example? So I live in rural South Australia. I'm about two hours north of Adelaide on York Peninsula. Um, near the, the sea and we're very lucky here where um, obviously we are social isolating but um, we can still catch up with friends for a coffee. Um, what we've been doing is bringing our own sort of thing and just sitting outside and um, keeping ourselves apart. At home it's not very much different for me because at home um, I work from home anyway so here I am sitting in my office talking to you, which is my usual workplace. I've got a view out over my garden. Um, but I guess that the thing I miss the very most is being able to see my family, especially my two grandsons who live in Adelaide, and I usually see them fairly regularly. So we've been doing lots of Skyping and sending letters and lots of things like that. Fantastic. Yeah, we, we were just saying the new technology, not even particularly new technology now, but it does come into its own when we're in these situations, doesn't it? Yes, thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. Look, I always like to start by just asking that question because people always want to know the answer to it. How did you get into your writing? Was there a kind of once upon a time moment of realisation or was it more something you'd really had there on the back burner for a long time? I think you know, I've always enjoyed writing, never thought of myself as a writer as such, but when I was 
I was a teacher and so um, about, oh gosh now, let me think, about 25 years ago um, when I had a a class of year four or five children and we were doing local history, I thought I could write them a little story to explain this aspect of local history that we were doing and, uh, you know, that's when I realised that it's really easy to start a story what's hard is to actually finish it. (laughs) So I did a children's writing course and I ended up writing a couple of children's stories, got bitten by the writing bug and then had this idea for a story with a a rural theme and that's what got me into adult writing. Great. Now you've been incredibly versatile over that time. You've got three areas that you're still working in now. One is rural romance, One is historical saga, and you've just more recently moved into more general women's fiction with multi-generational stories and a lot more emotional depth, perhaps. So can you tell us something about that journey? Yes, it's, it's, I think uh, writing what you know is something that people always say, but I, for me, it's more about writing what you love. And I got into the rural romances. I didn't know that's what they were called. I, when I wrote my very first book, it was back in 2004, and I had it. I tried to get it published, couldn't have it, so I self-published it and I had a little byline on the front cover from the city to the country, a rural romance. And that was before the genre of rural romance was really um, known. And so I kept writing those stories and eventually pitched one to Harlequin Australia who were looking for Australian stories at that time. And so they took that first book that I pitched to them, Queen of the Road, Um, And so I went on writing those rural romances, which I love, but in the background, while I'd been dabbling with those, I had also been writing historical fiction, another one of my loves is history. And so I had, I guess, these partly written stories in the background and I showed them to my publisher one day and she said, oh, I'm very interested in those. So that's how the historicals came about. And then having written the rural romances, I started to get, I guess, wanting to delve a little bit more deeply into the, uh, as you'd said, the layers of of, um, the way people react and get to know each other and what happens in families. And that's what led me into more women's fiction, I guess you'd call it. Mm. Look, the rural romance is interesting, isn't it? Because I hate to admit it, but I'm old enough to remember too when there wasn't even a category for Australian rural romance. And now there's dozens of people writing in that genre and it's very popular, isn't it? Still very, very popular, popular, yes. Yes, I think the people that read rural romance are avid readers and they're always looking for more. Yeah, that's great. So you won lots of romance awards and but your two latest books, I loved it. That they're called one of them's The Model Wife and the other is Something in the Wine. And both of them have won these awards called FAB Awards, F A B, and that stands for Favourite Australian book and they're voted for by readers in one of Australia's most popular online bookstores, Booktopia. That seems to be a pretty lovely endorsement of, of your general readership, isn't it? Yes, I, I, I do think so. And it's great to um, have both those books featured there. They did 
come out in the same year. So I guess that was still hopefully at the forefront of people's minds, which was good. Yes. And so, yes, um, I was very thrilled to have them both on the list. Do you try and alternate your work between, you know, doing a woman's fiction or a general fiction book and then a rural romance, or is that just the way it happened in, the, in, in 2019? Uh, it has happened that way. I was writing the rural romances and I had the historicals on the back burner, so they started to come to the fore. So then I had a rural romance and a historical in the same year. Uh, then because I had self-published three books and, of course, they'd not had a very big, was before the days of e-books, so they'd really only had a little local audience, um, my publisher really liked them. And so they were what became my last three uh, rural romances. So I wasn't actually writing from the very start, so something in the wine was already there. I would find it just too difficult to keep writing two books a year. So at the moment it's just one book a year. Yes, yes, it is a big ask. And do you find that they're attracting the same readers or do you have different readerships for each of the different genres? I look I, I look at it as a bit of a Venn diagram, <laughs> you know, if you can remember those. Yes. Uh, the, you know, there, there is quite a big overlap of all three genres. People find me in one and then they look up, well, what else has this person written? So they, they find the others and I get feedback from people saying, you know, they've loved all of them. I think there are some people who particularly like one or the other more, um, so they might just stick with that. But in general, my readership seems to have followed me very, very kindly <laughs> with my forays into um, other styles of writing. Yeah, that's great. Now, The Model Wife, it's, as I've mentioned, it's a multi-generational family story and it's focused on a, mid, a woman in midlife who starts to feel a bit taken for granted by her husband and family. She's tried very, very hard, as the title indicates, to do be a, a perfect wife and mother. And then she starts to become aware of some real life betrayals and a feeling of being uncomfortable in the role that she's expected to play. It looks at the outdated ideas of what a woman should be. Um, how did you come to to come upon the story? Did you feel that, that that a lot of women are feeling like that today? I think uh, women of my generation, you know, baby boomer, perhaps age, are very much caught in the middle of where we've, we've been, women who have worked, had families, you know, maintained all of those things that go with that, and then ageing parents who have needed us at different times um, to help them and sometimes there are you know people who are even juggling grandchildren as well and I, I think it's um, just an age group where so much is asked of in particular the women in the family I think I know that men can be carers too but I just think it's a, a particularly female role in this instance and I noticed it all around me, um, not just in my own life but in those of my friends and, you know, people I met and so it was quite easy to imagine Natalie in this, you know, caught up in this tangle of, of, of you know, trying to be true to everyone and herself missing out. Yes, and have you had the feedback from people to say that they really do see themselves reflected in that story? I've had so many people <laughs> message me and say, you've written my story. 
I, I had one lady um, at an event I was doing, you know, where we were sitting chatting about the book at a, at a, in a library and she said, you know, like, how do you know, like, this has happened to me. I've had, I've had this happen. I've got three daughters. I've got this and I've got that. And I just looked at her and said, I've been camping in your backyard. And <laughs> she took a breath a minute and then she realised, of course, I was joking. But <laughs> I, I think, you know, so many women, as I said, of our age can, can um, picture themselves in, in that situation. Yes, yes. And the other one, Something in the Wine, set in the Margaret River wine country in Western Australia. Lovely um, sort of picture of the setting there. And it's a father and son clashing over the way of vineyards run. I must say that the father character, Ewan, I I started to get a bit irritated by him because he seemed to be so self-involved. But you get pretty involved with the wines in that one too, don't you? Tell us about that. You, I, I really thought you might be a wine club person or something because <laughs> <laughs> I do like wine. <laughs> um, we, I, I actually wrote that story. That was my second self-published book. So we oh. had a family um, visit to Margaret River many years ago when my youngest son was too young to drink wine, let alone know anything about it, and. In the years that have passed, he has actually become a winemaker ah. and uh, now works, you know, he's a CEO of a winery, you know, works in, has worked in wine for many years. So I was able to go back to him when I revisited this book to, you know, obviously bring it into a more modern era because some of the uh, things I'd originally written um, about some of the controversy in the, in the, in the winery actually don't exist anymore you know um I had things like um whether uh Ewan and Flynn were arguing over whether they should have a screw cap or a cork cork. yes oh yes of course these days most wines are screw caps so that's not really a controversial thing anymore so I had to so um Jared was very helpful (laughs) for me to just go back through that and um but I did at the time of writing it originally I did spend a, a lot of time with um, some Margaret River winemakers who were really helpful. And when I edited it this time, I went back to Margaret River and visited some more winemakers. And, you know, so I, I feel as if I, you know, I just wanted to make sure that it was still credible and um, what was affecting people um, is still you know, the right thing. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me that you've kind of got a deep throat in the industry because it really comes through in the book. <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, I, you know, I had to research, I had to drink a lot of wine to research that book, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think you've got three of the general fiction novels out now, don't you? And the, the other one that pops you, perhaps was your first general fiction one, Table for Eight? Yes, yes. And, and that's, a really nice uplifting story it's it's suitable for the days we're living in about a, a whole lot of people who are gathered together on a cruise ship and and what happens around the dining table at night and the kind of relationships that develop and I did wonder about that one whether it was sparked by a cruise that you yourself took most definitely <laughs> <laughs> back uh, back in 2016 thank goodness because oh the poor cruise industry it's it's so sad now isn't it but it is. But back in 2016, my girlfriend was turning 60 and uh, she said, you know, her family and and to a few of us, let's go on a cruise, which we did. 
And so it was a wonderful experience. We had a lovely, lovely time and we went to the South Pacific and the whole time I was gone, I'm thinking, oh, my goodness, there's so much fodder for stories here (laughs) Um, that, yes, I, I started writing my first ideas and notes while I was still on that cruise thinking I just can't you know can't let it go I I can't forget it so sat myself on a beautiful beach in Lifu and started to to write um, the first notes for that book um, which became Table for Eight. Look isn't it interesting because we're, we're all starting to think a little bit now about how this pandemic is going to affect our writing and that's one book you you wouldn't even consider trying to do that at the moment would you? No, it would be a very different story now. It would be a very different story. And as you say, the poor old cruise industry, it seems like that might be one of the ones that's going to find it difficult to get back on its feet, to certainly to the level of popularity that it's been enjoying the last few years. Have you, have you got anything on the boil that might be affected in that way by the pandemic, that you have to rewrite a character or a storyline? I've uh, started writing my book for next year so that you know usually uh, February is when I start writing next year's book and I'd, I had already had the ideas um, I have three characters who are quite different women and not connected um, in a you know via a family relationship but um, I the more I thought about why they are like they are and and I'm projecting so these women are living in the story starts in September 2021 and so I'm trying to work out why they are like they are Um, and that the you know I'm sitting here thinking oh my goodness they've just lived through what we're living through now (laughs) so what does that look like and I just can't imagine it I'm I'm really can't think you know that will we ever go back to being just like we were, the world is going to be such a different place, isn't it? So, um, I, you know, I believe we'll get through it, but how we will be on the other side, I'm not sure. So that's really impacting my creative writing at the moment, trying to, to think, you know, how will this story be? Um, I'm currently ed- also editing the book that will come out at the end of this year and that I wrote last year and, you know, there's things in it like, a woman sitting in the back of an Uber sobbing and she leaves a wad of tissues behind and you know, <laughs> I think, oh, she can't do that. <laughs> but then I have to think, no, wait, you know, this was written in a different time. We'll just <laughs> we've just had to leave all of that. Yes, out. and and some people have this feeling, and I think they're right, that that readers won't want to be too reminded of it either. Oh. That they'll so it's a difficult balance, isn't it, between... It is a very difficult balance. Who's going to want to read about COVID-19 once it's all over? But but it will have impacted us, so in some, it has to be somewhere in the story, I guess. Yes, you just have to have some recognition that it's been, been there. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Mm. Now, with your historical sagas, um, I wondered if your interest in local history, because they are set in the Flinders Ranges in South Australia... Does that reflect your own family? Have you got a long history in South Australia yourself? Yes, uh, I do. Um, the Where I live, there's a, a beach near here called Sims Cove and that is named after my great-great-grandfather. Oh, so uh, there's a, certainly a long history for me here in this area and I'd like to write that story one day maybe, but... Um, I picked the Flinders because we've been 
going there for probably 30 years for, for um, long weekends and things. And we've got to know people there and now have really good friends on a station there. And so it just spoke to me, the history of that area. I felt that there was a story that needed telling. And um, so I used to just, when we went on holidays, once again, my, my notebook came out, I just jotted things down and I wasn't really sure where it would lead me. But, uh, of course, then it led on to that um, saga. That's terrific, yes. Look, perhaps just moving away from the specific books, looking a little at your wider career, um, is there one thing you've done in your career more than any other that you would credit as the secret of your success? I, yes. I think uh, when I... I've been writing for quite a while. Uh, I was still doing the self-published and I was, you know, lamenting that it was all too hard and why was I doing it and, you know, a publisher, you know, I really would like to have some sort of publication beyond my own efforts. Um, and I was talking to um, a well-known uh, South Australian writer, Fiona McIntosh, who um, has been... A, a great mentor at different times and um, she said, you know, what are you writing at the moment? And I said to her and she said, oh, you know, how's it going? And I said, oh, well, you know, the family's doing this and work's doing that and whatever and she just looked at me and if you've ever met Fiona, she has a very piercing gaze and she just pinned me with it and she said, do you want to be a writer or not? And I said, well, yes, I do. And she said, then write every day. It doesn't matter if it's only a few hundred words. You write them down. And she said, over a period of time, you'll end up with your story finished. And so uh, that has become my mantra. I write every day. And I I don't, um, and th now I have to sort of step back and say, I don't technically write every day, but I'm thinking about my writing every day. And I certainly write very, very regularly. Um, in fact, if I leave it, for too long not writing, I, I get the twitches, you know. <laughs> so um, I think that has been the single most important piece of advice is, is to just, if you're a writer, you really, it's like anything, you have to practice it and you just have to keep doing it and keep doing it. Now, do you do it at the same time every day? Have you got a routine like two hours in the morning? Tell us a bit about your process. Yes, it, it took me a while to work that out. I um, the, the thing about being writing and having a full-time job. I was a um, teacher librarian IT coordinator at a school near here. That was a very busy job. So my writing was fitted into tiny little pieces of my day. Um, and so once I um, resigned from that job and took up full-time writing, suddenly I had all day and I found I was a very good procrastinator. I could do all sorts of things and not write. So then I had to uh, reteach myself, I guess, retrain myself to write um, at, you know, at more regular times. So I, I start my day as if I'm going out to work and so I get up and have my breakfast and do my jobs and bits and bobs and then I sort of be at my desk by 8, 8.30 in the morning and my aim is to write 2,000 words um, when I'm in the creative writing part uh, it could be that I'm editing and that's a different process, so it just depends what I'm at. But when I'm actually writing, and my aim is for 2,000 words, and that can come quite quickly or it can take all day. It's really so different depending on what stage I'm at with the, with the story. Yes, yeah. And are you a planner or a seat-of-your-pants pantser? <laughs> Very much seat-of-my-pants, which is... <laughs> 
another stressful thing (laughs) because I just, you know, sometimes I sit there and think, you know, what is going on with this story? You know, there's, I don't know where these people are going, but eventually, uh, usually about a third of the way into the story, the characters do take over more and I, I have a feeling for where they're going and it just seems to flow better. But in the early stages where I am now with next year's book, yeah, it's a bit, I, I, you know, sometimes I think I wish I was a planner, but I, you know, I don't really want to know what happens at the end because that would kind of spoil it for me. It's a bit like reading the last page of a book before you've read the story. I, I don't like doing that. <laughs> That's great. So your characters are speaking to you all the way through. Yes, yes. They they live with me here in this office. We go lots of places together. I can see them around the dinner table. You know, like they become real to me um, while I'm while I'm spending so much time with them. That's lovely, yeah. Look, this is the joys of binge reading. So turning to your reading habits, Tricia, as reader, um, yes. it sounds like you, you have read all your life, that you were probably one of those people when you were young who was a bit of a bookworm. But tell us about your tastes in fiction and what do you like to read now and even binge read now? Oh, look, I read nearly everything that is put in front of me I you know I've got access to books obviously with libraries and I buy lots of books and um, every now and again my publisher sends me some advanced reading copies of you know other books so I've always got I've got piles and piles of books everywhere and I read you know I, I think the only thing that I probably don't read is horror and I've got a vivid enough imagination without you know going down that path but I read you know, so many different things. I was just looking at, um, you know, what I've read in the last little while. Um, I'm currently reading Fiona Lowe, Just an Ordinary Family, which is women's fiction. I'm loving that. I've read Dervila McTiernan's The Good Turn, which is crime. Bronwyn Sell, who's um, a New Zealand author, Lovestruck, which is romance. Um, Victoria Perman's The Women's Pages, that's historical um, and I've just read a book called My Dark Vanessa, which is contemporary fiction um, and it does have some very dark issues and, you know, around the Me Too movement and things like that. So, um, yeah, I really i am happy to read anything. I, I just love that reading expands, you know, where you're at, takes you somewhere else, um, and you always seem to pick up some little thing from a book you've read. Um, I, yeah, so, yeah, I, I can't imagine life without reading. <laughs> we've got, we've had Brown one on the show just in the last week or two. It hasn't even been posted yet. Um, oh, okay. But, yes, and actually, funnily enough, she was one of the first ones because I probably spoke to her about 10 days ago just after we'd gone into lockdown, and she's got a book coming out in February of course, Love Struck is set in a tourist resort in the Whitsundays, yes. and she's got book yes. two coming out in February, and she has all these people flying in and out from America. <laughs> and she doesn't know if she should rewrite that or, or just how she could should tackle oh, it. Look, I think we just need to go with the flow, don't we, and, and just it's it's fiction, so we can have in it whatever we like. <laughs> yes, she was just saying, what? how far into fantasy am I going to go? <laughs> yes. Oh, it's so hard, isn't it? 
But I noticed you didn't include sci-fi in, in that list of things that you're reading. I mean, I think... Uh, no, I haven't probably read any sci-fi for a while. I can't think what the last... I mean, you know, I, I am a Star Wars fan and, um, you know, all those sorts of things, but I... Yeah, I just I I've read a bit of sci-fi, but I just can't think of anything I've read just recently. I think I mean we don't really go into sci-fi and fantasy because I do think they're rather specialist areas, and people who love those books they they tend to stick with their genre. So we we do a more general thing of the romance, mystery, historicals, but I don't attempt to cover sci-fi and fantasy because I think we'd just be spreading ourselves oh. a little bit thinly. But um, yeah, it's interesting how far we are all going to be going into fantasy with this pandemic thing. Yes. <laughs> Look, circling around and you've, you've had a very good career over a number of years. Looking back over a long and successful career, is there anything you'd change? And if you, you did want to change something, what would it be? Oh, gosh, um, I cannot think of anything. It's, I, I don't look very far in advance. I, I just sort of live in the moment of writing what I'm doing now. And so I, you know, my goal is obviously always to finish the next book. Um, so I, I, I don't think there's anything I would change. It's been a wonderful learning process um, and each step has had its challenges, but then you go on and, and there's a new day. And, and so, I yeah, I don't know that I would change anything. I certainly am hopeful that one day um, I might get overseas publication. That is something that is a goal that I'm looking on to. But, yeah, I don't know if I would change anything. It's been it's all been good for me. <laughs> you certainly seem to have transitioned very successfully from being an indie author to finding a publisher. Well, I have, yes. Uh, and I think being an indie author was a good learning curve for that because mm -hmm. I came to a publisher already having written and, and to a certain point had a very small readership, but people were giving me... Good, you know, and not necessarily just family and friends. People yeah. were giving me uh, strong feedback on what I'd written, so I guess I ha I counted that as my practice for for being published. Mm -hmm. So, what's next for Trisha, the writer? Your plans for twenty twenty? So, I'm as I said, writing my uh, book for twenty twenty one, and uh, that's that's what will take up most of my time this year. I had hoped to be going away on a <laughs> bit of a, um, a travel up uh, to the top of Western Australia, but that won't be happening now, I don't think. Uh, so I'll just be hunkered down at home writing, 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 um, and um, that's, that's what I'm working on. And, of course, I can't sort of picture how the launch of my October book will go. The Family Inheritance comes out then, another women's fiction. So it might be a lot of virtual touring perhaps, um, depending on where we're at. Yes, yes. Tell us a little bit about The Family Inheritance. What's, what's... So The Family Inheritance uh, is um, about four women in the same family across three generations. Um, and when the uh, patriarch of the family dies, he reveals in his will and a follow-up letter some secrets that have been kept in the family and that kind of blows them apart and it's how they will gather themselves up and try and pull themselves back together again. Sounds mm. great. I love family secret stories. <laughs> <laughs> 
Oh, there's plenty of family secrets. Every family has them. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you mentioned the social media and particularly in this time. And I I know just before we started recording this, you mentioned that you'd been doing a Facebook, a live Facebook group because to, to replace the idea of actually going to a book club. Tell us about that. And I guess that you'll be looking to do a bit more of that. Yes, it was um, a lot of fun. It was, well, disappointing to start with because this was a new book club. Um, my daughter lives in Adelaide and she works at a, a big place that where lots of the um, women there had said, oh, you know, let's have a book club. And so they had decided they would and, and that they would read my book, Table for Eight, and asked if I would come to their inaugural book club meeting and, of course, I was delighted to say, yes, I would. And then when the time came, of course, we couldn't. So mm-hmm. I said, well, let's do, you send me your questions and let's do Facebook Live and we'll invite other people as well who've perhaps read Table for Eight and might like to join in. So, yes, we did that and it was it was great. It was um, a lot of fun, got a lot of great questions and the feedback from that um, was very positive. So I thought, well, perhaps, um, yeah, later on I might do another one on one of my other books just to to see, uh, you know, how, how it goes. Yes, that feeds in very nicely to what is always our final question in these interviews, and that is about how people find you online and whether you enjoy interacting with your readers. It sounds like there might be more of those Facebook lives there in the future as well. But tell us about interacting with your readers and where they can find you. I love interacting with readers. Uh, I have um, a website. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram and Twitter, although I'm not much of a tweeter. and I also send out a newsletter, which because of the strange times we're living in, I thought I'm I, usually that's only four times a year at the change of each season. But I thought, you know, people are kind of looking for, you know, what's good things around us, I suppose. And so I thought, well, I'll just send out a chirpy little newsletter a bit more often while we're all stuck at home. So, um, yeah, I have all of those places where I interact and I get uh, a lot of emails back from people about the online stuff or the newsletter or, you know, things like that or people just reaching out when they've read a book and um, they want to tell me how it impacted on them. And so, yeah, I love getting those, um, always looking for nice, you know, chances to interact with readers. And probably this is the place to mention that, we have talked about doing a giveaway for the model wife. It might be best to make it an ebook version with the way things are, because I don't know if many bookshops are. St- are many bookshops in Australia still open? Is yes, yes, oh, they are. Uh, they are. Um, um, and if they're not open to the public, they're still taking orders and answering their phones and, you know, doing all that sort of thing. So I certainly know um, there's um, – I should have looked it up before I came on, but there is a uh, – books and publishing, I think it is. Books and publishing have made a list of a lot of um, the shops that are still um, open or at least operating in some way. Great. And yeah. if your local bookshop's not on that list, still check them out because I know not everyone is on that list. Yeah. Well, we've talked about this and you're very 
generously suggested that you're going to give away a few, a little bit of your book swag as well, you know, maybe some bookmarks and things like that. But we'll do three copies of The Model Wife to give away to readers in a drawer and we'll be introducing that in the introduction, which is wonderful. Thank you so much because I think at this time it's especially nice for people to win something. I I know the last week's contest, I I let a lady know that she'd won and she said, oh, it's been the most fantastic day. I've won a book and I had a phone call from my son saying that his test results came back and he doesn't have COVID-19. So she was was so excited. (laughs) Yes. Yes, well, because it's book 13 coming out for me this year, I'm doing um, a Facebook giveaway each month too. So that, and people are, seem to be, yeah, enjoying that. It's nice to be able to do something that might bring a bit of spark to people's lives. So that's good. That's wonderful, Tricia. Look, thanks so much for your time. It's been wonderful talking and all the very best with getting your head around this new book. Thank you very much, Jenny. (laughs) Bye now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.